fitted this weekend uh, by the preaching of Dr. Greg Perry. Uh, Greg is originally uh, from Texas. He uh, served uh, as an assistant pastor at In-Town Community Church uh, here in Atlanta, here in Georgia. And uh, the only time he's spoken at our church, uh, he and I were talking the other night, was back in the early 1990s at a uh, young adult uh, Bible study in a home. So he's, he's never preached here, but uh, we are grateful for you and your ministry at Covenant Seminary, where he serves as an assistant Associate New Testament professor, but we welcome you again, Dr. Perry. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Chip, and thank you to the session for your invitation to be here. I want to thank you very much for the deep encouragement that this weekend has been to me. Uh, what a witness to see uh, two daughters of the church from very different generations uh, going out. Uh, Leoma Gilly and also Katie Scott, and to see how you're partnering faithfully over many years, uh, not only to produce a, a translation of the scriptures, but to partner in very difficult, challenging parts of the world. So thank you so much for the deep encouragement of your commitment to God's kingdom and God's mission. Well, over the last couple of nights I've had my professor hat on, we've been looking at uh, the Gospel of Luke, and uh, we've looked at the practices of, his, of God's mission. First of all, looking carefully at our own inabilities, our incapacities for such a great mission, and seeing our need to begin in prayer, to continue in prayer. But also learning from Jesus the practices of parties in the kingdom, the celebration of Sabbath and what it's for, that it's to be the gift of mercy, the gift of life, to use the things that God has given us, our blessings, and leverage them for the cause of Christ uh, as he stands even with the most vulnerable uh, in the world. But I'd like to put on my other hat. Uh, Chip didn't mention to you, but I'm also on the board of, of Third Millennium Ministries and have had the privilege of serving there for the last 18 years with uh, Dr. Richard Pratt, who's been here many times. And there's two things I really want to share with you this morning that I'm very excited about. First of all, to thank you again for the gift of your very own uh, Judge Ashley Royal, who is the newest member of our board, and it's just been a delight uh, to get to know Ashley and Ellen a little bit as they have hosted me uh, this weekend. Uh, it's already been a joy to work with Ashley on the board there. But also, you have been a faithful partner, not only with Covenant Seminary, to produce pastors and counselors and disciple-makers for the Presbyterian Church of America, but also with Third Millennium, because Third Millennium is committed to provide biblical education to the world for free. The church is growing the fastest in those parts of the world where theological education is least accessible. And your partnership over the several years has made it possible to produce over 20 courses uh, that are sound, reform, biblical training with high production values, uh, translated in six different Languages. So I want to encourage you to go online at thirdmill.org and really benefit from these courses for your personal Bible study, uh, for your home Bible study groups, and that when you do so, you're going to join over 8 million discrete viewers, 8 million discrete viewers over the last three years alone, and thousands who are enrolled uh, in online training. Uh, so thank you again for your faithfulness uh, to Covenant Seminary and to Third Millennium uh, over the years. But once again, we come to Luke's gospel this morning. Let me invite you, if you would, to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. 
to the first words of Jesus' ministry. First words are important, aren't they? They provide a framework, an interpretation uh, for what to expect, what his ministry is all about. This morning we're going to look at the very heartbeat, the very core of Christ's mission in the world, the gospel of grace, the astounding, startling news that though we are sinners, Christ died for us. They knew who he was. They had seen him grown up. They had had meetings with his dad while he played at their feet. They had helped to teach him the scriptures. They also had learned to sing the psalms together. And everyone knew the funny story about the time that Jesus got lost on the way back from the festival in Jerusalem. You see, Nazareth was Jesus' hometown. And they had all heard that he had done these things at Capernaum. He had healed the sick. He had cast out demons. But the thing that they wanted to hear most about, the thing that excited them the most, is they had heard that he was declaring that the kingdom of God is at hand. That God had remembered his new covenant promises to his people. That maybe, just maybe, the great difficulty and pain and trauma of dealing with being an occupied territory, dealing with Roman soldiers in the thick of their lives every day, that they would be free. They would be liberated from this occupation. So that morning, they filed into the synagogue that Saturday morning. What would Jesus say? What would he do? Read with me, if you would, from Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 22, the very words that Jesus read that day in the synagogue from Isaiah's scroll. He came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. As was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovery of sight for the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today... This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And everyone spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come again to your words. You are our only teacher. Lord, give us your spirit that we might follow in your way, that we might be good students of your word doers of your word and not hearers only. Lord, our confidence this morning is in your commitment to your word, that just like you send the rain and the snow and it produces fruit in the earth, you send forth your word and it accomplishes the mission, the purpose for which you send it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, with these first words... Jesus strikes a full chord that resonates with his countrymen. Everyone in the room responds with favor. Yes, he understands our plight. 
He's from Nazareth. He belongs to us. This freedom text from the prophet signals not only God's deliverance in the past, his bringing them back to the land from exile, his strengthening them that they might rebuild the temple, but it gives them a word of hope that even though they're occupied territory, God is committed to his promises to the house of David. God is committed to his ways to restore the people to their land, to restore not only lives, but livings. Today, Jesus announced, God is remembering his promises, and he's visiting his people to begin the year of jubilee, to begin settling the scores and settling the debts, to restore God's visible reign in Israel. Well, dramatic rescues are the best kind, aren't they? I don't know about you, but when I open the newspaper, when I start up the search engine to look at the morning news, I sort of brace myself for the bad news that I know is going to be there time and time again. So when good news happens, it spreads like wildfire. It's, it's like electricity. It wasn't too many years after I'd come to uh, teach at Covenant Seminary that the national media descended upon St. Louis for a big story. We don't normally get the national media in St. Louis. We're a pretty lazy river town. But with their dishes, with their big trucks, everybody was coming to cover this story. About five days before, we had heard the terrifying news that a young man had been abducted from his bus stop, 13-year-old Ben Onby. One of his friends who got off the bus with him had seen a white truck speeding away from the bus stop area. The St. Louis police and the sheriff's department and the FBI kidnapping unit got a, a lucky break when police were delivering a warrant at an apartment complex, they recognized a white truck that fit the description. So everybody came together. They raided the apartment. And unbelievably, Ben Ombi was there. Healthy. Whole. But not only did they find Ben Ombi, who had only been missing for five days, they found another young man who'd been missing for five years, Sean Hornbeck. It was really incredible to watch these professional law enforcement people with tears running down their face, seeing and witnessing the reunion of these two young men with their families. The FBI kidnapping officer said, you know, after 48 hours, we fear the worst. But this day, there was good news these young men were restored to their families. Several times already in Luke's Gospel, we've been hearing the incredible news sung by Mary, sung by Zechariah, prophesied by Anna and by Simeon. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He's visited and redeemed his people. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Glory to God in the highest. The angels would sing. Brothers and sisters, the spectacle of God's grace is electrifying. God is on the side of the vulnerable. 
the widow, the orphan. It's good news for the victim, for the oppressed. But God's good news, it doesn't only deal with our sins, it deals with the ways we've been sinned against. The spectacle of grace is electrifying. But Jesus isn't finished. He presses further into the text. He has a word of explanation. In fact, he's added a little bit to what Isaiah 61 is talking about with a little phrase from Isaiah 58. Look with me back at verse 18 for just a moment at the last part of that verse. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. This is about a true fast. This is about the meaning of true worship. That's what Isaiah is talking about in Isaiah 58. God not only delivers forgiveness from sins, he raises dead bodies. He not only restores lives, he restores livings. For Luke, the good news of Jesus Christ is not only spiritual, it's material. God is reconciling all things to himself. This world that he made good, he is bringing back to himself. This people he's made promise to, he's bringing back to himself. But Jesus' word of explanation in Nazareth that day causes him a lot of trouble. Read with me, if you would, from verse 22, part B. They said, Isn't this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we've heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. He said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown, but in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. But Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. There were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elijah, but none of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard these things, everyone in the synagogue was filled with wrath, and they rose up and they drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. What happened? Just a few moments ago, everyone is talking about his gracious words, and now they're enraged. They're ready to kill the Lord Jesus. Not only is the spectacle of grace electrifying, but Jesus presses further that the implications of God's grace are enraging because grace isn't just for the victim. You see, Jesus understands the human heart and Proverbs have a, a wonderful way of capturing what is generally true and so he says, doubtless you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. How can we unpack that? What, what is that about? He's saying doctors should keep their families well. First and foremost, we get a clue about what Jesus means in verse 23. He says, do here in your hometown what you did in Capernaum. Jesus belongs to Nazareth. Jesus belongs to us. 
this proverb is talking about this notion of let's keep the money in the family. Let's keep the blessings of salvation in our hometown to ourselves. But remember that Jesus has come declaring the reign of God. And everybody is trying to understand what that announcement means. And he is pressing deeper because there's a deep misunderstanding that he's trying to correct. You see, the God of Israel is not only Israel's God. He is not only a a tribal deity like the other deities of the other peoples. No, he's the God of the Phoenicians too. He's the God also of the Syrians. And yes, he's also the God of the Romans as well. Well, this is a hard word. Every family had been affected by the Romans. Sons had been conscripted and couldn't plow the fields because they'd been taken to kitchen duty or to tend the animals of the Roman soldiers. Some had had to sell everything they had so that they could pay the onerous taxes. What do you mean that God's grace is not only for us, that it's also for the Romans as well? Just two summers ago, everyone in our country was stunned when just a few days after her mother and eight other African Americans were gunned down during Bible study at Emmanuel Church in Charleston, our sister Nadine Collier said these three words to Dylan Roof, the confessed killer. I forgive you. What do you mean? What are you talking about? Justice must be done. And indeed, God's deliverance, God's salvation does justice because sin is a destroyer. It destroys lives, and God takes sin seriously. And that means that his justice must be done. But how does God bring about his justice? Just last summer, the Washington Post came back to interview Ms. Collier And she said there, forgiveness isn't resignation, it isn't weak, and it isn't easy. Forgiveness is powerful. It means that you can fight everything and anything head on. You see, the good news of God's victory is that it's a victory over violence. It's a victory over death. God's justice isn't just about punishing the perpetrator, it's about changing us perpetrators. That he would turn us away from those practices of sin that are destroying our families, that are destroying our businesses, that are destroying our neighborhoods and our cities. And he would turn us toward the blessings and the gifts of life, repentance and faith, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have a new friend that I was able to meet this summer in Phoenix, Arizona, where I had gone to teach at the missional training center there in Phoenix. Her name is Rose Mapendo. A good friend of mine in St. Louis had traveled with Rose and other people for a, a large Banyamalinge family wedding back in the eastern Congo. And he introduced me to Rose, and I could spend some time with her. 
You see, Rose and her family have run from Rwanda into the Congo, but at the behest of the Congolese government, there were those in Rwanda who militias going across the border and were rounding up these Tutsis. And her husband had been caught in the net and had been a victim of one of the death camps. Rose at the time was pregnant with twins. They had left her without provision. And she was scrounging in the brush for some wood for a fire. She was scrounging outside the death camp just for roots, for anything that she could eat. And she was crying out to God because she's a Christian. She's my sister in the Lord. But she didn't like what God had to say. The words that kept rising in her spirit were the same words that Stephen would say to those who would stone him. The words, don't hold this sin against them. Forgive them. She would wrestle with God. She would scream at God. And within the next two weeks, her babies would be delivered. And she would decide to go God's way. She decided to name her children the two names of the two military commanders who had killed her husband. One of the wives of these commanders came out of social obligation and their tribal custom and brought her food and brought her clothing and brought her tea because she had honored her husband by naming her children after him and the other commander. She was brought before the commanders. The commanders didn't know what to do with her. In fact, they were afraid of her. And they said, why have you done this? And she said, I am not your enemy. I'm your neighbor. I'm your family member. My children bear your name. We're all image bearers of the God who made us. That day, the commanders dismissed her and her children and sent them by military transport to Cameroon, where they entered the resettlement process that would eventually bring them to the United States so that I could meet Rose and others, could benefit from her ministry. She goes back almost every year to meet with women who are widows of the Tutsi tribe and gathers them together to tell her story. And God is using her to teach the power and the freedom of forgiveness. You see, God's good news is a victory over violence. He brings justice, but in a way that brings new life. Luke is going to speak later in his second volume, the book of Acts, about a man named Saul who would seize people and incarcerate them for their faith, a man who would participate in the killing of Stephen. But Paul would himself confessed to Timothy about his encounter with the risen Christ. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who's given me strength that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man. I was shown mercy. In an evening service, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones preaching on that wonderful passage and declaration of the gospel, Romans 8, 1 and 2. There's now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free 
from the law of sin and death. Dr. Lloyd-Jones comments, There is clearly a sense in which the message of justification by faith alone is a dangerous message. I say, therefore, that if our preaching does not expose us to the charge and misunderstanding, it is because we are not really preaching the gospel. It's a charge that that formal dead Christianity has always brought against this startling, staggering message. God justifies the ungodly. While we were still God's enemies, Jesus loved us. The implications of grace are enraging. The kingdom of God is not just about justice and punishment. More so, it's about changing the perpetrators. Well, Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. The spectacle of grace is electrifying. The implications of grace are enraging. But finally, we also see that the application of grace is empowering. It has a mission. We see from the beginning of Luke's gospel that the Spirit is on Mary and overshadows her as she will give birth to a son. The Spirit descends upon Jesus as his baptism. The Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness as he confronts temptation. This gospel is a cosmic struggle against evil and all of its effects. We looked Friday night. Where does Jesus find strength for his mission? He's constantly going away to the desolate places to pray. What does Jesus do? How does he celebrate the Sabbath? Well, he heals the man with a withered hand, the man who has dropsy, the woman who has a disabling, spiritually disabling, physically disabling spirit. He delivers her. What are our prayers about? What is our Sabbath worship about? Jesus, as was his custom, came that Sabbath day to worship God, and we have come as is our custom to worship God. Is God's forgiveness, is God's grace just for us to keep the money in the family, just to heal ourselves? It's no accident that the way that Luke's second volume begins is the same way his first one begins. The Spirit of God is poured out, not only on Jesus, but on all of his people. And they're empowered, we are empowered for witness to this incredible mission, to this incredible, startling good news. The reach of God's grace has come to us so that it might work through us. Let me invite you to turn back to Isaiah, chapter 61, and I'd like to take note of an important grammatical point. Isaiah, chapter 61. Our Lord Jesus began reading that day, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, verse 1. The Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, and he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives. Everything there is in the first person. Me, me, me. The Lord Jesus has a unique mission that only he can accomplish as he embodies God's word by his life of obedience, as he stands in for sinners as our substitute, by his death and his resurrection. He can proclaim true freedom, true release, 
true forgiveness of sins, and the restoration of life. But notice this change in the grammar in verse 3. He's going to give the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. Why does this, he give these blessings, this good news, that they might be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he might be glorified, that they might build up the ancient ruins, that they might raise up the former devastations, and that they might repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Abraham Kuyper, that great Reformed theologian and the Prime Minister of the Netherlands at the end of the uh, 19th, beginning of the 20th century, a man of many endeavors, a university founder, a newspaper man, makes me tired just reading his bio. He gave in a series of lectures at Old Princeton, he said this, There is not one square inch of this world where King Jesus doesn't say, Mine. This belongs to me. Brothers and sisters, why has the Lord brought his forgiveness to us, his grace to you this morning? Where is that one square inch of Jesus' kingdom where he is calling you and me to stand? where he is sending you and I as agents of his grace, that we might be the repairers of the broken walls and build up the former devastations. Well, they come at a different chapter in their lives. My friends Jim and Jen Owens had seen their kids off to college. They were experiencing that empty nest syndrome, and they were beginning to seek the Lord. What's next, Lord? What would you have for us now? They came to church that morning at New City Fellowship, where my wife and I go to church, and our Congolese pastor said, Thanksgiving is coming. We have several new refugee families in our church, and we'd love to know if some of you might be willing to host them in your homes for Thanksgiving. Share a little bit about the Thanksgiving story, what it means to our country. Teach them a little bit about our home here in America. Well, they jumped at the chance. They invited these couple of these families over, in fact, three families over, to their home for Thanksgiving. But it wasn't just that day about the meal that they would set for their new friends. It was about the things they would learn about their stories. One woman was a jewelry maker. Another had sewing skills and was making scarves. And an idea was born. Jen saw and Jim saw that one square inch where God was leading them to that next part of their mission, and that was to start a nonprofit called Parade, Friends of Refugees and Immigrants, because in our city we have a lot of those who come through the International Institute. They would match women from our church with women who were part of these immigrant and refugee families, and together they would read the scriptures, they would learn English, they would go together to get their driver's license. They would learn how to use American money. There would be scripture and there'd be sewing. And now, over the last seven years, Foray has become known at all of our free markets, especially in the spring and the fall. And, and on the website, many goods are sold and an extra measure of income is coming to refugee families so that they can begin to get on their feet in our country. You see, for Luke... And for our Lord Jesus, 
The good news is about restoring lives, forgiveness of sins, but also raising dead bodies, restoring livings, restoring landscapes, because the mission of God is that he's reconciling all things to himself through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Grace is electrifying because it rescues those who are oppressed by the sins of others, and those rescues are spectacular. But grace is also enraging because it's not only for the victims, it's to change perpetrators, but finally grace is empowering for this transformation, this renewal of our homes, of our families, of our businesses, of our schools, of our neighborhoods. So this morning, where is your one square inch? Maybe the Lord is calling you to move your square inch, like Jim and Jen Owens. Maybe he's calling you to move into the city, to be available for some of these new relationships that will be created through the Sunday evening service, the Sunday evening outreach. Maybe he's calling you to get involved with campus clubs and with your neighbors in, in uh, Pleasant Hill. As we were looking last night, to invite to the banquet people who don't look like you who aren't from the same place that you're from in life. Perhaps, though, the Lord is moving on your heart to make a faith promise, to make a commitment to some of the short-term mission trips that are going to happen this year. Faith promise happens in three ways, and we heard Andy explain that uh, really well last night at the banquet, that we can take some of our discretionary income and systematically give that extra over and above our tithe, to support the partnerships that your church has been committed to and continues to be committed to. But also the Lord is calling us to give sacrificially, to take up our cross, to follow him, that this grace that he's given to us is a costly grace that we're to share with others. And so maybe there are ways that you can take things you're doing now, money you're spending now, and to sacrifice those funds. I know for me, I have a pretty significant coffee habit. And maybe we can sort of uh, begin to use some of those funds that you're using for things like that to sacrifice and to give those funds in partnership with your missionaries. But finally, God has a habit, doesn't he, of giving to us things that we didn't plan on, things that we didn't expect. Maybe there's an extra opportunity for a job. Maybe there's a tax refund that comes that we weren't expecting. And yet, if you've already purposed in your heart that you're going to give those funds to the Lord, Give them this morning. We have the box here, the box at the back. As the Lord leads you, make a commitment to the faith promise. Where is your square inch where Jesus is saying, mine? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, a word of liberation, a word of release from sinful practices and habits but also a word that turns us towards life, your original purposes for creation, that we might be your image bearers in our jobs, in our parenting, in our sexuality, as citizens in our neighborhood. Lord, to receive your grace and be agents of your grace, we builders of the broken places. Lord, energize us by your spirit that we might share your good news. We pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.